Good morning, church. My name is Mary at uh, St. Children Life Group. Uh, the verses for today are that follows is Genesis 1, 26-27. Then God said, Let us make men in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the beds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Revelations 21, verse 1 to 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Won't you join me in a word of prayer just before we come to God's word. Father, here we are again. And once again we come empty-handed. We come as broken people. We come as people who have not lived uh, in step with your spirit. Who have not lived from your grace this past week. And so we return once again to hear from you, to be reminded of your grace, of that grace in our Lord Jesus Christ, to be refreshed and renewed, to be built up, to be rebuked and challenged where we need to be, to be drawn to you once again through your Son and in the power of your Spirit, trusting only in your enormous mercy for us. And so please, Lord, please, Father, will you meet with us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we spoke about unity, and it's such an important topic that I wanted us to pause in our series on Acts and to reflect on unity again this week, and we'll get another chance next week. So it's a mini-series within a series. I also want us to get really practical, and when the Bible talks about getting practical, it uses the word wisdom. We need wisdom for unity. But we're not after the conventional wisdom. The conventional wisdom on unity says, generally says one of two things. It either tries to dissolve all differences or it tries to ignore all differences. So dissolving difference, uh, you see that in the gender controversies. The story goes that we are not actually different, that it's just social conditioning. What we thought was difference is not actually difference. Dissolving difference, pretending it's not there. That's one strategy. The other is to ignore difference. Simply live and let live. This strategy says that diversity is important, but it doesn't tell us how to live out that diversity. It doesn't tell us what to do with our differences. It just says that everybody has a right to their difference, whether it's a difference of opinion or a difference in practice. But what happens when our differences collide? What happens when we bump into our differences? Well, this is where conventional wisdom fails us. It doesn't really have an answer. What happens in practice, in reality, is that whoever shouts the loudest wins. So in any clash of differences, whoever is strongest wins. Unity comes by coercion. Unity comes by power. That's conventional wisdom on how to achieve unity. Either 
just dissolve the difference, wish it away, or ignore it and the strong prevail. I'm sure you'll agree with me, we need more than that. And so we turn to the Bible. We turn to God's Word. What does it say? It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we want to figure out how to live with our differences, how to achieve unity, how to prosper unity, we start with God. What does he have to say on the topic? A whole lot, as it turns out. But he doesn't give it to us in a textbook. He doesn't give it to us in a manual, an app. He gives it to us in a story. He says, this is my story. And then he says to us, your story, your story fits within my story. So let's go to God's story and let's ask ourselves what it teaches us about unity and difference. We begin at the beginning. We bump into difference in the very first verse of the Bible. You know it well. In the beginning, God created. Right there. There's the first difference. There is God and there is that which God has created. The creator and the creature. And the difference between them is infinite. It's absolute. It's infinite, it's absolute, but it's not opposite. It's not hostile. It's not a hostile difference. The differences are not set against each other. Seven times in that same chapter, God declares that what he has created is good. There is a difference. But the difference is not a bad thing. The difference is a good thing. We see more difference in creation itself. We see God separating the light from the darkness. He separates the sky from the waters. God makes plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit each according to its kind. God makes sea creatures and birds according to their kinds. He makes livestock, creeping things, the beasts of the field according to their kinds. All of it, all of that difference, he declares to be good. Creation is full of difference. That difference is good. Those differences, in fact, those differences make up the goodness, the unity, the harmony, the shalom of what God has made. Like cogs in a watch or like pieces of a puzzle, they are different in ways that bind them together. And the same is true of the pinnacle of God's creation, Humanity itself. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What do we see? God made man. Male and female, he made them. The difference of male and female is built into, it's baked into the unity of mankind. One humanity, male and female. The difference is not the enemy of unity. 
The difference is actually what constitutes the unity, what makes up the unity. You don't have humanity without male and female coming together. Without the difference of male and female, humanity cannot be fruitful and multiply. It cannot exercise dominion over the earth. It cannot be what God has made us to be. Here's where it gets a little stretching. We get all this difference for unity from God himself. That's part of what it means to be made in his image. God himself is a unity in diversity. When you read the first chapter of John's gospel, you see that present and active in creation are God, his word, and his spirit. Then you go back to Genesis 1 and you see hints of that all over the chapter. What does that mean? It means that there is a difference in the unity of God himself. There is one God, unity. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is good. What he has created is good. Unity made up of difference is good. Difference for unity is good. That's the big takeaway. There is no real unity without difference. And difference is for unity. This theme runs all the way through God's story. We see it again in Genesis 2 where Eve is taken from the flesh of Adam to be different from him only to come back to him in a one flesh unity that we call marriage. They then come together to make others who are different only so that they can come together in unity. And so it goes. Marriage is the key picture that God gives us of unity and difference. Think about marriage. In marriage, the differences matter. For good and for bad, the differences matter. They matter for unity. In fact, they are how unity is achieved. Now, all this talk of unity doesn't seem to square with our everyday experience, does it? If humanity was made in unity, where did all the division, the disharmony, the disunity, the dissension, the discord that we know so well from our everyday lives, where does it all come from? Of course, that's the very next chapter of the story. How does difference become discord? Genesis 3. First, Adam and Eve deny the difference between God and themselves. They want to act in the place of God. They want to decide for themselves who they are, what they should do. Next, they deny their unity with one another. Adam distances himself from Eve, this woman that you gave me. Cain kills Abel. Instead of serving unity, the difference has become something in the service of discord, dissension, division. 
First step, denying difference with God. Then denying unity with one another. That becomes the cycle on repeat over and over and over again through the rest of the story. One place we see it clearly is in Genesis 11. This is now difference and discord escalated to the social level, to the level of society. Humanity denies, once again, denies its difference with God. They unite against him. Let's build a tower that reaches to the heavens. Let's go make our own home there. God judges them so that difference becomes division. Diverse languages and cultures become an obstacle to unity. Humanity is divided. But God in his mercy starts again. He promises to unite the nations by blessing one man and one nation. Abraham and through him Israel are set apart. They are made different. They are different from the nations. But they are different for the nations. Blessing will flow through them to the nations. And that promise is finally fulfilled in Jesus, who is the new Adam. He's the start of an entirely new humanity. He smashes down the dividing wall of hostility. He welcomes the nations in. When his spirit descends at Pentecost, different languages are united in speaking the one word of God. And so the church is set apart. The church is now to be different from the nations so that the church can be different for the nations. The story ends where it started, with marriage. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. The differences are no longer divisions. God remains God, but God is reconciled to man. Humanity in all of its difference and diversity is reconciled and united to itself. Every tribe and tongue and nation is gathered together to welcome the bridegroom. The tears of discord and division and dissension are wiped away. We are united in our difference. Now, for the sake of time, I've skipped a few chapters of the Bible. (laughs) But that's the basic story. That's the basic story. What does it have for us in the way of wisdom? Wisdom for unity in this local church. Ten principles. We've done a tour of the whole Bible. We might as well go for ten principles. I'll be quick. Don't worry. Wisdom for unity. Ten principles. Wisdom fears. Wisdom hopes. Wisdom watches. Wisdom walks. Wisdom meanders. Wisdom humbles. Wisdom welcomes. Wisdom suffers. Wisdom waits. Wisdom asks. Those ten. Wisdom fears, hopes, watches, walks, meanders, humbles, welcomes, suffers, waits, and asks. Wisdom fears. We've already said that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That means his story matters. 
When we're trying to understand unity and difference within our own story, it must be framed by his story. And one of the key lessons of his story is that unity is not about overcoming difference, either dissolving it, wishing it away, or ignoring it and letting the strong prevail. Unity is about understanding our differences correctly. Now, we, what do we do? We tra- tend to treat difference with suspicion. We don't like difference. We see difference as a threat to unity, especially unity as we define it. That's not how God sees it. God uses difference. He uses difference to build a much deeper unity, a richer unity. Forgive the sports analogy. I couldn't help myself. The only thing that I could think of that really captures this is what happened with the 2019 World Cup winning Springboks. Now, linguistically, if you think in terms of language, I suspect that team was the most ethnically diverse team at that tournament. I also suspect it was the most united. If you've watched Chasing the Sun, you'll know what I mean. And it also happened to be the team that won the whole thing. I don't think we, we could have done that with 22 Afrikaners. I don't think we could have done that with 22 guys from the Eastern Cape. The unity of that team was stronger, not in spite of their differences, but because of them. They had to figure out what actually bound them together. We begin by fearing God and listening to him. He says that he has made us different for unity. We are different for the purpose of unity. Secondly, wisdom hopes. God himself is a unity in difference. God is a personal relationship. God created humanity in his image. We were created a unity in difference, and we are headed for unity in difference, profound unity in difference. Difference is not the reason for disunity, and disunity is not the end of the story. That means that in our differences, we can rejoice in the unity that was ours. We can rejoice in the unity that will be ours again. And in this life, we can strive to advance that unity, to realize it, to live it out. We don't have to be defeated by all the division, all the pessimism and the cynicism, because we know how the story started and we know how the story ends. Wisdom hopes. Wisdom always hopes. Number three, wisdom watches. Adam denied his difference with God, and our unity was shattered. We now live in the splinters and the shards of that shattering. Unity, I don't need to tell you, unity does not come naturally. It comes only by the sweat of our brow, and only in this life, only in part. There is wisdom in simply knowing that. When you accept God's story and how he gave our unity away, threw it away, disunity is not a shock. 
We are not naive about unity. We know it's going to be a struggle. We know you can't experience unity just by wishing our differences away or ignoring them. Knowing all of that is deeply liberating. Knowing you are in a battle is half the battle. And so we know we're in for a fight. We know that the devil hates a united church more than anything else. The devil hates a united church, and so we are on our guard. We're looking out for any cracks, any cracks, any threats to unity, dealing with them quickly. We're quick to challenge the gossip. We're quick to deal with a petty dispute. We are vigilant. We may be as innocent as doves, but we are as wise as serpents. Wisdom watches. Number four, wisdom walks. We said at the top that wisdom is not just theory, it's theory in practice. It's learning to live in God's world according to God's design. But the learning is a particular kind of learning. This is not just textbook learning. This is on-the-job learning. It's on the job. That's why the Bible repeatedly talks about walking in wisdom. That's the main way of referring, that's the main verb applied to wisdom. You walk in wisdom. Why? Because your walk is your life in the biblical idiom. Wisdom comes to us by experience, by living life in the presence of God, by, try, by seeking to live out the gospel. That means we don't just think about unity. We don't just pray about unity. We do, but we don't stop there. We build it. We work for it. We sacrifice for it. Unity has to be lived out. The ordained pastors in this church, you can see a couple of them. We've all made promises in the presence of God and in the presence of God's people. Here's one of the promises we have made. You need to hold us to it. You will, man, will you maintain and promote to the best of your ability quietness, peace, and love among all Christian people, especially among those who are committed to your care? I will, the Lord being my helper. Now the promise is for pastors, but the call is for all of us. We are all of us called to be agents of God's peace, to be peacemakers. That means that we ourselves, each one of us in this room, we ourselves will be quick to listen, slow to anger, slow to speak. It means that we'll bear with each other, put aside the small slights, the small offenses, those small irritations, the snub. And we will always fight for the most charitable interpretation of people's words and people's deeds. How easy it is to go in the other direction. Not so. It is so easy to be skeptical. It is so easy to be suspicious of each other. Wisdom fights against that. 
It also means that we will do whatever we can to see brothers and sisters who are at odds. We will do whatever we can to see them reconciled. Now, all this doesn't mean that we're just endlessly polite and affirming of one another. Sometimes that's how we, we think of the Christian ethic. It's some sort of Victorian set of manners. We're just always polite and affirming. No. We will have the hard conversation for the sake of peace that lives on the other side. Now, here's the pointed, awkward question for all, for all of us. Is that you? Are you a peacemaker or a troublemaker? The question is not whether somebody else is a troublemaker. The question is for you and for me. And if you haven't been actively pursuing peace in this church, remember, wisdom walks. We will not grow as a body of believers. We will not grow in our wisdom for unity if we are not actively pursuing that unity. The only way to grow in wisdom is to exercise your wisdom muscles. Wisdom walks. Number five, we're halfway there. I know you're counting. I know. We're halfway there. Wisdom meanders. Now, what do we mean by that? Wisdom meanders. We mean that wisdom doesn't walk in a perfectly straight line and in the same direction all the time. And what we mean by that is wisdom for unity is not always the same in every situation, everywhere. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 26 verse 4. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Very next verse, 26 verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly. So which is it? Do we answer this fool or not? The wise answer is that it depends. It depends on the fool. It depends on the circumstances. It depends on my emotional state at the time. Wisdom requires exercising judgment on a case-by-case basis. We treat each case on its merits. That means that in pursuing unity, there's no one answer. There's no silver bullet. There's no cookie cutter or template that we apply in every single case. Sometimes, confrontation is the way to pursue unity. Sometimes, avoiding confrontation is the way to pursue unity. It depends on the situation. Wisdom gives us the discernment we need to be able to tell the difference. And so wisdom meanders. Number six, wisdom humbles Wisdom himself volunteered for the life of a servant. The one greater than Solomon volunteered for the death of a slave. In the Proverbs, his great book of wisdom, he says to us, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. With humility comes wisdom. 
if our differences are ever going to serve unity rather than serve division, we need to be humble. We need to be humble. Wisdom for unity comes through humility. Humility recognizes that we need each other. If I'm ever going to be able to see my own blind spots and hear what God is really saying through his word, I need you. Without you, I only have my, only, my, my, my narrow little perspective on this life. I'm relying on a few decades of life and my limited faculties to make sense of the whole world, to make sense of all of God's word. Only a fool is going to try and do that on his own. We need each other. It's why God has put us together. Because none of us with just a few decades of life with limited intelligence, with limited experience, can fully access the truth that transcends all of history. That's why we read the scriptures and we read our circumstances together as a family. And not just this family, but believers everywhere and across every century. The church universal. Do you see how stupid our pride is? Do you see how foolish it is to dig our heels in as much as we do? And we do, if we're honest. Do you see how wasteful it is to dismiss a person's view because they're different? You know, he's a Zulu. You know how Zulus are. (laughs) Or she's a housewife. Shame. Or he's an old white man. His time has come and gone. On the contrary, Martin says, Amen. We say, Hallelujah. On the contrary, we actually need those differences, like we need Him. We need those differences for the sake of unity. You don't build unity by forcing everyone to see things your way. You build unity by having the humility to know that the truth is in God's word and in God's world. And if if we're ever going to hear him properly, we need each other. We need more eyes if we are ever going to see the fullness of his beauty. We need more eyes so that we can worship him properly. We need more ears to hear the deepest mysteries of his word. That's where our differences will build our unity. So interesting. Most of the fights in churches, and and if we're honest, in this church, are about secondary, trivial things. Most of our fights are between people with strong convictions on things that don't matter. Being humble doesn't mean you don't have any strong convictions. It just means you have fewer strong convictions. You limit your strong convictions to the things that God has said really matter. For the rest, you don't trust yourself enough to fight about it. 
And you know that the range of views, the range of views will make us stronger. Wisdom humbles. Wisdom, number seven, wisdom welcomes. This is a key point we've already made, but it's worth elaborating. Wisdom doesn't dissolve difference, pretend that it's not there or ignore it. Wisdom welcomes difference. Wisdom welcomes the stranger. Why? Because God welcomes the stranger. God's story is a record of God repeatedly, over and over and over again, crossing over to the other side of the road, welcoming the stranger, embracing the enemy. The perfect summary for us is in the parable of the Good Samaritan. We, we chose, we chose to be estranged from God. He should have nothing to do with us. In his justice, he should have nothing to do with us. But he crosses the road. He rescues us. He heals us. He treats us as one of his own. He doesn't deny the differences. When God made the world, he did not cease to be God. When God rescued the world, he remained God in all of his holiness, in all of his otherness. We sang about it this morning. Now there is enormous wisdom for us in that. Reconciliation in our lives does not depend on the disappearance of all differences. It depends on a love for the other that transcends those differences. I do need to make one qualification. We're not here talking about accommodating serious sin. Sin is a deliberate choice to be alienated. So if a person is repeatedly and willfully choosing that, then sometimes you have to let them go. Sometimes you may even have to push them out to show them the nature of their choice. Because they're so blinded by their sin, they can't see that by their behavior they are choosing alienation. Now whether they leave or whether they are pushed, the hope is always that they return. The posture is always one that is ready to welcome, to embrace. That's how the father treated his prodigal son. And that's how we should be treating each other. Wisdom doesn't deny differences, but wisdom welcomes Number eight, wisdom suffers. Jesus bled for the unity of this local church. That's why his apostle can write this. When any of you has a legal dispute with another, does he dare to go to court before the unrighteous rather than before the saints? Does a Christian sue a Christian, and this before unbelievers? The fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves demonstrates that you have already been defeated. And here's the key. Here's the key. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Wisdom recognizes that the unity of this local church, any church, the unity of the church is infinitely more valuable 
Christ shed his blood for this unity, it's infinitely more valuable than my vindication, than my reputation, my being proved right, my I told you so. In fact, wisdom would choose to be wronged, choose to be cheated, choose to suffer rather than damage the unity and the witness of the church. Would you? Would I? Number nine. Wisdom waits. This ties in with wisdom watches and not being naive about unity. Because wisdom knows that whatever we do, however hard we fight for unity, there will always be some division. This side of our Lord returning, there will always be some division. That doesn't mean that we give up fighting and that we despair. It simply means that we are not devastated by defeats and by setbacks. We expect them. We mourn them. We mourn them. And then we get up and we fight again. We fight again with hope and with patience while we wait for the one who will bring perfect unity. And while we wait, we ask. Number 10, wisdom asks. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. If we lack, we should ask, and it will be given to us. Let me try and bring it all together. Brothers and sisters, we said it last week, what we have here is special. This kind of gathering of such different people is not normal. This is not a natural phenomenon. This is not just a function of the demographics of Midrand. You know, Midrand used to be almost exclusively a white and Indian area. Now it's predominantly a black area. We are none of those things. We don't fit into strictly into either of those categories because this is not merely a demographic outcome. This is a work of God. It's a precious gift. I hope you agree with me. And this, our story, fits within his story. The Father made us for unity. The Son died for our unity. The Spirit descended for our unity. And our unity depends on our differences. It's a precious gift. It's a precious gift and there is someone who wants to take it away. There is someone who wants to steal it, to snatch it, to destroy it. We need to protect it. We need to fight for it. We should want with all of our being to see it grow and prosper and flourish. And to know how to do that, we need wisdom. But we don't have wisdom in and of ourselves. 
So let's ask the one who does. Pray with me. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Father, we thank you for the precious gift of unity that we have in Christ. We know he bled and died for our unity. Father, we thank you for making us so different. Thank you that our differences are there to build and strengthen and enrich our unity. We want to protect and prosper our unity, and we know that it is so very hard in this world of division and hatred. Father, it is so far beyond us. We are not up to it. Please forgive us our failings in this area. Please give us the wisdom we need to succeed. As a people united by Christ in our differences, we want to enjoy your blessing. We want to bring you honor. And so it's in his name that we pray together. Amen.